the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans with no place to get breaking news, real time commentary, powerful stories, then The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, and get exclusive ad free content. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription today. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. We are also supported by Balanced Bridge Funding, providing capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balanced Bridge understands the industry and can customize a repayment plan catered to your client's situation and objectives. Borrow wisely and avoid broker fees when you pay it back early. Whether you're currently under contract and need a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking for that next contract, as we're going to talk about today, or looking to borrow money for any other reason. Let Balance Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you today. Visit balancebridge.com. My name is Mike Giannetti. It's going to be like a six-pack today. Bouncing around the leagues a little bit. There's just a lot of interesting things happening, and I don't really want to spend too long in any of them because I want to just kind of get myself out there with it and talk about it more on Twitter, maybe put some articles together on some of this stuff. But it's a fun time of year from a semantics business standpoint. And like I said, about six or seven items I'm going to hit, including the 2021 Cy Young winners and financially speaking, what that means for them going forward. The early Major League Baseball free agent signings, Noah Syndergaard, Justin Verlander, fresh off the uh, return to Houston. What does that mean? What does that look like? The Packers and their unbelievable stock share system <laughs> is back in the news in a big, big way. What does that mean for the Packers, for the NFL? And some thoughts on that. Joe Flacco will be your starting quarterback for the Jets. Why am I talking about that? Because I've talked about it before. I've talked about the Jets in this capacity before. And a question came offline, basically, what does this mean? Why is this happening? And I'll, I'll speak to that a little bit here as well. And a couple more items as well. So kind of stick around for bouncing around the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NFL a little bit. And uh, catch me at Spotrick on Twitter with any questions you may have going forward. All right. One of the bigger early signings in Major League Baseball free agency comes with, I don't know, it's a bit polarizing, I think, from from each side because of the factors, the teams. Noah Syndergaard, one year, $21 million from the Mets to the Angels. Syndergaard declines the $18.4 million qualifying offer with the Mets. So what does that mean? It means $21 million next year to the Angels. And it means a second round pick next year coming back to the Mets. I'm seeing a lot of hate on both sides, whether you're the Mets should have resigned him at that, or the Angels should have given him a multi-year deal, or that's way too much for one year on a pitcher who had who's coming off of Tommy John and barely pitched. Here's my two cents from a business standpoint with baseball. A the grade is A for the Angels for starting with a starting pitcher. <laughs> okay. Uh, this could have been almost anybody in the top six that I kind of laid out in last pod's notable free agent piece. It could have been any of them. And certainly Syndergaard has risk because of the injury. But I have to be honest with you, having been manually inputting these transactions now for a decade, Tommy John surgery for a starting pitcher is like a sprained ankle for the average us. It just heal it properly, give it time, which the Mets did with him. You know, they didn't even force him back. Once they knew their season was done last year, they did right by him and basically said, you can take them out a couple of times 
if you and your agent think that's important to you to get a kind of a showcase out there. And they did. And he was fine for the first and terrible for the second. So I'm not sure what that accomplished, but it's huge possible reward. Now, with that said, it's a straight one year deal. There's no club option, no player option. There's nothing after 2022. So that's the part I'll kill a little bit. In my opinion, you have to at least give yourself some opportunity to keep him under contract if he stays healthy and becomes a top of the rotation guy to go with Otani. You're essentially betting on the fact that you can woo him for one year and then a good faith scenario will take place in him staying after 2022. Because while I applaud the all-in metric here, which is essentially what I believe the Angels will do, I I wonder if we don't see more one-year deals from the Angels, both in the staff and, and to round out some of the holes in their position players. It seems like it's put up or shut up time for Mike Trout, and it is for Otani, financially speaking, too. And that's the that's how I'm going to finish this this bullet point here. If you think $21 million for one year is too much for, for Syndergaard, you're probably right because of all the red flags. But you're only paying Otani $5.5 million next year. Whether he's a DH a pitcher for half the year, only a pitcher, five and a half million for whatever you're going to get out of the guy, which is going to be above average in any breath, is is huge value. So you probably had three to four million to work with. So if you take the $18.4 million qualifying offer and just jack it up three million, which is essentially what's happened here, that's where we are. So I think it's right. Because, because personally, if the Mets were in a better spot, front office, roster, you know, contention if they were in a better spot in their division right now with the Braves just winning the World Series. If more things were aligned for the Mets, I have a feeling he signs that qualifying offer just to stick with the Mets, get a good chunk of change, obviously, stick with the team that wired him and has kind of built him up through his prime years and then showcase, use a showcase here for 2022. That that was probably the the easy move. That's not the move we got here because I don't think he wanted to stay with the Mets in any regard. So the Angels just simply came in early and came in high. And I think they had dollars to work with in that regard. So I I applaud the Angels here. I think it's the right approach. Maybe it's a little too all in with the one year and nothing after that, but it's a good move to get things going for that franchise and their pitching staff, which just can't get it done. Justin Verlander. A lot of there were reports this morning that he's looking East Coast. He's looking Florida, you know, Find me a team in Florida who's going to pay for Justin Verlander, and I'll allow that rumor to kind of penetrate. But now we're here. Houston came in swinging. I, I think I said in the last show, about $20 million is right. Here's what they did. It was originally reported as a one-year $25 million contract, except the report also said with a player option. And that's a light bulb going off above my head for me. Player options guaranteed. So if you're telling me he's making 25 million next year, which he is, now we've learned it's 25 next year plus a $25 million player option. According to spot track data, that's a two-year $50 million contract. That's what Justin Verlander just got to return to Houston. So talk about going big and early to get your guy. This is a sign of strength. And it's also a sign of just how important the pitching staff is to Major League Baseball teams right now. It is very quarterback-esque. I know we've talked about how starting pitching can be devalued. And, you know, 
injury notwithstanding, age notwithstanding, I think in four, five, six years ago, this is a 30 million plus contract, regardless of all those red flags. So I do think things are coming down to earth a little bit. We'll see what happens with Scherzer and if 35 to 40 million is actually a reality point for him. But this is swinging big for a guy who had, you know, has everything going against him, age and injury, and still pulled 50 million if he wants it. Now he can say 25 and retire. He can say 25 opt out and go somewhere else if the wheels fall off in Houston. But the way it's going to look in spot track is two years, 50 million with an opt out after year one. So big time bucks, big time, you know, insurance, big time stance from Houston and from Jim Crane basically saying, this is our guy. This is aggressive. This is really aggressive stuff. There's certainly more risk here, in my opinion, than there would be with Syndergaard. But you also have more of a track record with this team and this player. So I get it. It's early. And I love to see these these contracts coming in early, by the way. This is thrilling me. I thought for sure it was going to be a ghost town until February 1st because of all the things, the CBA, the uh, you know the downsizing of free agency, all that. This is a really good sign for baseball. This is a sign that teams and front offices are putting it. And I guess it's got, we've got to include owners here, right? This is the owner saying, we're going to shell out the money now as a position for how the CBA is going to go. Because now we're going to be able to say, look, we've already pumped in $200 million with the free agent contracts before the negotiations even started. We're ready to play ball. We're ready to do business and play ball you Major League Baseball Players Association just has to sign the X's and cross the T's here. And, and then we can move forward with this thing. So I do think there's some leveraging with the CBA in terms of how these things are getting done early. But in this case specifically with Verlander, it's about not letting negotiations percolate too much. It's This is the guy. Why would we look elsewhere when we know this guy can do it? Let's just Let's just overpay. And it'll be some concessions for his World Series run anyway, if we, if we have to kind of eat some of this on the back end. I get it. It's kind of old school baseball. We, we don't see too many reaches like this, and that's what this is. So good to see Houston staying relevant. And uh, on the last pod, my, uh, my prediction was Carlos Correa still walks, but Houston doesn't just start to rebuild, that they bring in one of these other shortstop. And I, and I, I tar- targeted Trevor Story as the guy to replace Carlos Correa. So this is a good step in that direction, in my opinion, that they are not backing down, that they are not shedding payroll. In fact, they are pumping back up this pitching rotation to make sure that that can carry the day as every baseball team should be. And then they're going to connect the dots with the holes they have in December and January. So big, big, big stuff from Houston here. All right. One of the questions I fielded offline today, what does Joe Flacco starting against the Dolphins say about the Jets quarterback situation? It's a good question. It's a question I've answered with passive aggressive tweets in the past. (laughs) Um, The Mike White situation was super fun. And for a Jets team that isn't that good as a whole, that's kind of a charming story in the middle of a season. But clearly he was overmatched last week. He's had some injury situations himself. And I think the coach said everything that needs to be said, which is Miami's defense is nasty and they blitz and they pop people in the mouth. And we don't want to put Mike, Mike White in that situation. Now, Joe Flacco, while he's old and overpaid, <laughs> he, uh, he certainly can handle, read, assess, and get out of those kind of situations in blitzes a little bit better, even at his age, even with his lack of mobility. 
I think it's an absolutely honest statement from Robert Sala. I really do. And it's the reason, by the way, that I wanted the Jets to have a backup quarterback like Flacco from the get-go. Not just to be able to play. Look, I, I, I'm, I get it. Diehard fans of a team want that team to win. The Jets weren't going to be winning. All right? Uh, you know, the Bills were going to be the class of this division. We knew the Patriots were going to step forward. Miami was a step forward last year. They've, they've backtracked, but now they're kind of back in it and, in fact, have, have a decent playoff chance ahead of them. So the Jets are, are last. This is where they were supposed to be in this division from a preseason standpoint. When that's the case, A, you wanted this kind of guy here for, for Zach Wilson, just from a locker room standpoint. Now, I'm not sure what kind of backup quarterback Joe Flacco is. We know he's unvaccinated, so that's not a great stance from a team standpoint, but he's he's here now. And Zach Wilson's not ready, or the Jets don't believe he should be ready. One of the two. This is exactly why you need Joe Flacco, just to take easy, simple reps in the middle of a season when Zach Wilson would be at risk. And he would be at risk right now because he's not 100% because maybe this defense would be a little bit overmatching to him. He needs time to progress and see it and learn and evolve. And you can say, throw him in the fire and let him learn that way. Many teams have tried that, including this one with Sam Darnold. And how did that work out? You know, a few games last year and certainly his first three years. So I, I like this. I would have liked to see this from day one with the Jets. Get somebody in there, whether it's, you know, any of these backups. But Flacco was overpaid in Philly. Then they acquired Minshew. It made no sense for Flacco to stay there. So the Jets lucked out in getting this guy when they did because this is exactly the situation they should be using him. What does it say about Mike White? I don't really care. <laughs> he's fun. He can play. I don't think he's a 17-week quarterback. And I think that's pretty evident right now. Now, could he progress into that? Maybe. But I don't think anybody's going to give him that opportunity to groom him in that regard. He may be somebody's camp competition next year. Maybe he's the Jets camp competition to keep Zach Wilson pushed, but I don't think that anybody thinks there's a, re a realistic chance that he's going to hop into a roster or remain in this Jets roster and be a legitimate QB one for any of these teams going forward. So it's good on, it's good coaching. In my opinion, you have Flacco use him for this right here. And, and I'm not saying he's a punching bag because I think it's exactly the opposite. He's out there so that the quarterback doesn't become a punching bag so that he becomes immune to the ability that you can just blitz every down and put pressure on somebody and they're going to crack and fold. That shouldn't be the case with Flacco. Now, he's, he's not going to be great in my opinion. He's completely untested. He hasn't played in forever. And who knows what kind of you know offensive line slash weapons he's going to have on a week-to-week -week basis here with the Jets. But for one week to just go out there and manage a game, this is exactly why you have these guys, to protect your youth, your investments, your assets. That's what this is. And it's a good move. How much do professional coaches make? This has always been a tough one for us. We've, uh, we've pieced together a lot of the data, but not to the point of where we could actually put a full list out there that would be something we could hang our hat on. Our friends over at Sportico and Kurt Badenhausen, or Badenhausen specifically, has done a lot of dirty work on this now recently. And he tweeted things out this morning. This is what we expected to see, by the way. And the, uh, the data that I had been researching basically said Belichick was way ahead of everybody, like way ahead. And... And the Bodenhausen data says 18 million a year for Bill Belichick, which is way ahead. Let's put this into perspective. 
Greg Popovich, who is the somewhat NBA version of Belichick, I think on a smaller scale, 11 and a half million a year in a sport where the superstars are making 50, by the way. Nick Saban, who is the college version of Bill Belichick, 10.7 million a year, although I should add an asterisk to that because I've done some work on that contract. There's a ton of bonuses, a ton. Whereas, you know, you make the final four, you've got a, a passing offense that's better than your rushing offense. There's all sorts of, of monikers built into that one. So he's, and by the way, all these advertisements, right? So he's, uh, and, and Belichick has those as well, but Saban's doing way more than 10.7 per year. But average salary, just to coach the team, it's almost half of Belichick. Steve Kerr and Kyle Shanahan, both at nine and a half million. That's, that's nuts to me. It, it's nuts that Kyle Shanahan got 9.5 million from San Francisco. I think he's a brilliant guy. I think he's an untested brilliant guy though. And I think we're seeing that inconsistency with a lot of what the 49ers have been over the past few years. Uh, that one stands out like a sore thumb to me on this list. But other than that, I mean, you're not talking baseball here. You're not talking hockey here. It's NFL, it's NBA, it's college football, and it's nothing else. Nothing else. And that's from 18 million down to 8 million. Nothing else. So, you know, this is where you want to be. There's a, there's a couple of college basketball coaches, Calipari, Krzyzewski, who make upwards of eight and a half with their bonuses, but this is big time stuff. This is why football is key. And this is going to transition me into the next point, which is the pretty unbelievable numbers from Green Bay with this stock sale. So for the sixth time in franchise history, the Green Bay Packers are offering stock, 300,000 shares of stock at $300 per share, which doesn't take a lot of math to get out there, $90 million. And they're going to do it. I mean, they're going to do it. it. It's not even going to be close. And this is how powerful the football is. This is how powerful the NFL is, especially in markets that don't have much more to offer. Now, I realize the Bucs just won the uh, the championship. You know, the Brewers can play. There's a lot of Chicago attachments up there. But Green, the Green Bay Packers are the Green Bay Packers. And the uniqueness of this stock process, you know, uh, people kind of forget about it throughout the, the iterations of it. But when something like this comes to the forefront, it's, it's jarring. It's just mind-boggling. And, you know, this isn't like it's day trading. Okay, these, these, these shares that get sold, you're not earning retirement funds off of this. It's kind of more or less memorabilia. It's something you can frame and put in your bar and whatever you're going to do with it. But it just goes to show, it's essentially charity. It just goes to show how easy it is for this sport specifically to earn any kind of money at any point in time. So we, you know, we can sit here and cry about the pandemic, and we should. It was, it's been a mess and still a mess, and I think it's ramping back up, unfortunately. But, and yes, everybody lost money, including the richest people in the NFL. But the love of the sport didn't go away. And certainly from a, a regional standpoint, that probably is only amplified because you take something away for a little bit and the second you can have it back, that comes back tenfold. So the timing of this to me is epic, especially with football coming back, fans getting back in stadiums. And then, oh, oh by the way, our quarterback may leave in six months. So let's drop this nugget right now before everything explodes around us, possibly. I think the timing is brilliant, but they're going to make it. 
I mean, they're going to make it. So anybody who thinks that football is dead and, and, and we're all over me for complaining about the fact that the salary cap dropped, this is why right here. This is exactly why. Now, I understand that there was a, a, a process in place. If X dollars are made, the salary cap will rise this, this much. If X dollars are not made, we're going to drop the salary cap this much and we'll negotiate it to a point to kind of levy it as much as possible. It dropped way too much. Way too much. Too many people had to lose jobs. Too many people had to restructure. Too much minutia had to happen because of this element. When this kind of thing can be dropped in the middle of November, 18 months after the, you know, the, the disaster, and we don't really blink an eye at it. It's just 90 million that a team is going to raise and good for them. It's a powerful sport and it's as powerful as it's ever been. And the TV money's coming in 18 months as well. And there's going to be a new streaming service for the NFL ticket and Thursday night football is going to Amazon exclusively. And I can't even stop thinking of ways that this league's about to make money. So <laughs> I am not going to shed a tear for the NFL. And this is just exhibit 97 right here. All right, assessing the NBA free agent landscape. Not the one coming up, the one we just had. I asked Keith Smith, our resident NBA expert, to kind of break down his thoughts, early thoughts, way too early thoughts, on the top top 10 or 11 free agent contracts from this offseason and how it's kind of looking early on here. And the reason I did 11 is the top free agent contract from the offseason was Kawhi Leonard, who obviously has not played a minute, and we don't know if he's going to play a minute, but it's still kind of relevant, right? It's still kind of relevant to talk about him because this Clippers team is hanging on. They're three games, four games above 800, but 500. You know, Paul George is kind of doing, he's kind of the old Paul George. And is, is that because it's him and some kids and him and some not so notable names, which is sort of his entire Indiana career and his Oklahoma City career to some degree? Or is it, you know, that just he's kind of settled into this Clippers role a little bit more. My, my thinking is, will Kawhi ever be back with this Clippers team because of the injury, maybe because of the fit? I think it's something to think about because it's, he'll be tradable mid-December. No, that's certainly not going to happen. But, you know, what happens if he sits out the entire year, if he doesn't come back into the postseason, even if he's available? I think there's a lot of what-ifs with Kawhi and maybe more positive outlooks with the Clippers right now. So I, I'm more team oriented than individual players right now, because it's sort of what that team vibe is giving me. Atlanta's weird. <laughs> okay. Atlanta's not beating good teams. They're losing to some bad teams. They're three or four under 500 at the time of this discussion. John Collins is not a problem though. And the fact that he re-signed on 25 million a year for five years still seems perfectly right for me. He's not an offensive juggernaut. He's more of a complete player, more of a of paint kind of defensive guy, but he's going to uptick the, the shooting. That's just going to be his game. Maybe he's a slow starter. Maybe they're all kind of settling into a bit of a hangover from last year. That's perfectly fine with a young team who overachieved a little bit. So I'm not worried about this Hawks team, but I'm certainly not worried about John Collins being there for the long haul. I think he's the right player and it was a good fit. Phoenix is winning. And Chris Paul, regardless of what that contract looks like, you know, it's not four years, 120 million. Let's be perfectly honest about that. It's about two years with some what ifs after that. It looks a lot better in terms of structure and details when you look at our site than you do when you're talking about it in the, <laughs> just on Twitter and you're talking about 120 million. It's not getting that. So I like the next two years of Phoenix, even if that there's some indiscrepancy about Greg, you know, Aiton, or, I don't know, DeAndre Aiton's 
future in 2022, 23, because he'll be essentially a free agent after this year. So we'll, uh, we'll see what kind of impact that has. But Chris Paul and this Suns team right now is good. They're going to remain good, barring massive injuries, and certainly looks like the right move out of the gate. A couple of double-ups here. Miami, Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, fine. Perfectly fine. I don't think anybody was worried about Kyle Lowry. I'm worried about him staying healthy, and he's not shooting yet. You know, so early slump, getting acclimated with a new team, fine. He's contributing in a lot of other ways. And oh, by the way, same conversation with Lonzo Ball in Chicago. DeMar DeRozan is shooting. He looks like the gem of this free agent class on a three-year, 82 million-ish contract, which is pretty good value if he's going to continue to play like this. And Lonzo's not being asked to shoot the ball. Now he's trying to. He's trying to continue to to improve that part of his game, and he is throwing him up there. I give him credit for that because he wasn't doing that in New Orleans. He certainly wasn't doing that in L.A. when he was kind of sitting in the back corner waiting to see what he should be doing next. He is facilitating. He is leading that team in a lot of ways. I say the same thing about Kyle Lowry. He's a savvier vet in that regard, so he knows a little bit more of how to handle it. But both are going to find their shot at some point during this year and contribute in that way. But both those teams are deep enough and I think young enough in many respects to just carry the day. I I was dead wrong about these Bulls. Uh, I thought it was going to be too many new pieces to, to work, especially early on. It has worked early on. And whether it can continue or not is kind of moot because they can go on a little bit of a rut here and still stay afloat. That's how good this team is and deep this team is. So I'll eat crow on that one. But Lonzo's a big part of it. And certainly DeMar DeRozan is the class right now. Dallas is winning despite Luka not being ready yet. I don't know what that means. And, and Porzingis, uh, he's a shell of himself, unfortunately. But at some point, they're going to look to get the ball inside. At some point, Luka's going to round into shape and just become a juggernaut again. That's, those are givens in my opinion. Tim Hardaway signed the big contract this offseason, free agent wise, coming back on four years, seventy-five million. You know, certainly Luca did his extension as well, but that kicks in next year. It seems like it's all—it's a good move. You know, he's going to be a more of a role player, more of a when we need him to be kind of guy, and that's exactly why he's here, and that's exactly why it's not one hundred and seventy-five million, but it's seventy-five million. So it's fine for me. Outside of that, Norman Powell in Portland looks weird to me for this reason. He went five for 90. And the second he signed that contract, I believe Keith and I both kind of went back and forth and said, all right, that means one of the two big guys are probably going to go. Now, I guess it doesn't have to be immediately, you know, but if this team continues to struggle, which they have, they've been one of the, uh, the, the, the sour points of this start to the season. I have to think that they're one of those teams that's going to be on the move, whether it's selling one of the big pieces, whether it's trying to bring in a new big piece, that's possible. Although I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> um, but I just think this contract is a backup plan, a plan B for when they lose Dame or, or any other big piece on this team. It could be Yurkic, it could be any of these, any of these players. But something seems to be ready to give in Portland. We'll see what time that happens. Jared Allen in Cleveland. Cleveland's been a nice surprise. Nine and six um, at the time of this piece. They went very big and it's worked. Now Mobley's going to miss some time. So this team's going to fall back to earth a little bit. But Larry Markkinen, Jared Allen, Mobley, Kevin Love, there's, there's just a lot of big, tall guys who can also shoot the ball and get inside. So I think it's, it's a different spin. You know, Not a lot of teams can match up well with this, and that's kind of why they're eking out some wins here. But I would put this in the category of at some point, this is going to give as well. 
right? If, if there's too much of one thing, generally teams will come looking for a piece when they see a surplus. So come December, come January, I wondered if Cleveland isn't selling something here because it's the right move, not only for their current season, but also to build an asset, maybe bring back a player, a guard, maybe move on from Colin Sexton at that point and one of these big pieces and bring back a serious asset to start to make a real push in 2022. That's what this team has done. They've kind of aligned their assets properly. And I think the Mobley draft was the the starting point of its time to go because he's a, he's a player. He's a guy. Like he's a real superstar, all NBA type player early on here. And he's the kind of guy you're going to start to build around quickly. So I expect movement with Cleveland coming down the, uh, the trade deadline stretch here. And last but not least, the Cy Young Award winners have just been announced in 2021 for Major League Baseball. So I'll kind of do some details on that here. The 2021 Cy Young from the American League, Robbie Ray, kind of a no-brainer. I think he got basically every single vote. It was almost unanimous. Toronto Blue Jays uh, certainly overachieved. He's a big reason why. He's a free agent, which is fun. You want, you want this kind of situation to happen. It's good for baseball because this kind of guy now has some notoriety. He is essentially exiting a team that is young and fun. Will they overpay to bring him back? They just paid Jose Barrios $131 million, essentially $120 new dollars because he was about to make $10, $11 million in his final year of arbitration. They basically bought that out and added on $120 million. I think it's perfectly fine. That's $20 million a year for a starting pitcher at the top of your rotation. Will they do the same with Robbie Ray, who's 30, just won the Cy Young, was arguably one of the best, most consistent pitchers in all of baseball on a one-year $8 million contract after a terrible season in Arizona the year before. Terrible. And they trade, they acquired him in August of 2020. They brought him back on one for, 80, one for eight. He declined the, the qualifying offer, so he's now a free agent. What do you do? Is it enough to come back and do the, the Barrios deal again for Robbie Ray? And can you do that to yourself knowing Vlad Jr.'s up? Not up, but going to need money. Bichette's going to need money. Tasker Hernandez is going to need money. Some of these kids, Semyon's one of the big free agents out there. The, the retaining, the reconstruction, the extensions, or the new blood that Toronto brings in over the next six months is going to be one of the most fascinating things to watch in Major League Baseball because they're fun, they're good, they're young. But how do you keep this band together? You know me. I always err on the side of pitching. So Barrios was step one. Bringing back Robbie Rafe is, is step two for a couple of reasons. A, you know he can pitch for you specifically. It's working. Yeah, that's rare in Toronto, by the way. So overpay for that. And B, the Yankees are going to be in, way in on this. You got to keep him out of, that, out of the Bronx. And that's a real thing if you're looking to, to con- compete in this division. Because Boston, Tampa Bay, New York, and Toronto are all going to be neck and neck. That's not going away. So playing defense as much as playing offense here is important to this Blue Jays team. That's what the signing situation is going to happen now for the American League. Will Toronto kind of follow suit and pay out the bucks for Robbie Ray? Nationally, Corbin Burns, Milwaukee Brewers. Maybe not a household name, should be. Certainly is if you're a fantasy baseball player because he has been consistently great and he had a hell of a 2021 he is projecting to about $5 million in arbitration one, which is this season. That's mean, that means three more years of team control and arbitration with free agency not available till 2025 at age 30. He's an older guy. So again, I pose the question. 
does Milwaukee wait? Or do they strike while the iron is hot, try to lock this guy up long-term, buy out these arbitration years at cheaper salaries, maybe toss a signing bonus in for some lockout coverage, and then push out two, three, four years of, of free agency to keep him in, in, the, in the fold. I think it's the right move. They've got a couple of nice pitchers that they can cost control and stagger on this roster right now. But starting with Burns makes perfect sense. Now, it's never great to pay somebody after a huge you know, award like this or a World Series victory. You know, ask Joe Flacco, right? Took around with that back in a conversation. So the team's not going to get much value here, but you can nickel and dime in a couple of areas. Like I said, you can maybe lower some arbitration salaries, save yourself a little bit there, depending on how your cash flow looks from an annual basis. But I I wouldn't be shocked at all if Robbie Ray signs soon, staying in Toronto, and that Corbin Burns is offered, maybe doesn't accept, but is offered some sort of multi-year extension to kind of buy out the rest of his team control in Milwaukee. But crazier things have certainly happened. So there's your 2021 Cy Young Award winners. All right, that'll do it. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. And of course, Balanced Bridge Funding. Visit balancedbridge.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. <laughs>